0: wheels are rolling rolling all along the highway wheels that keep a rolling all the night and day singing a song of the men behind the motor trucks a song of safety and service all along the way hey welcome to another episode of the classic pickup podcast i'm your host michael whips and i hope you enjoy this episode Episode 44, this week I speak to Kevin Whips. Don't know if he's related to me or not, but it's uh, it's been an interesting one having someone with the exact same surname as me into, into Chev Trucks as well. So Kevin's been in the scene a long time and, and Kevin uh, has written a couple of books and the book we're predominantly talking about is called How to Restore Your Chevy Truck and it's a 1967 to 72 issue he also has another book out, which is a 73 to 87. So if you're into the uh, the 67, the 72s or the square bodies, then uh, Kevin's book's uh, quite a good read. So we have a good chat about all that in the interview. Um, one of the things we're talking about at some stage is the best way to get the books if you're here in Australia. So I did a bit of searching around. Uh, you can get them on booktopia.com.au. Uh, you can get the most recent one anyway. Otherwise, as he mentions in the interview, you can get both of them on Amazon, and they're happy to ship internationally. One of the things I set up this week is a Patreon page. So if you are not aware of what Patreon is or not, not quite as tech-savvy, basically it's a, a format for artists of all sorts, so whether you're a musician or a podcaster or you know maybe you're an actor that's trying to uh, struggle your way through. Patreon's set up so that, that people who are a fan of what you're doing can effectively donate money to help support you. So, it effectively is a monthly subscription, so you just get on the Patreon page, and I'll run through that in a minute, and you can just agree to a certain dollar amount, you know, you you can make it $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever you wanna do, and uh, you know, price of a cup of coffee or something like that, and it just automatically will come out of your card once a month, much like a Netflix or something like that, where you have a subscription to something that you're watching. Um, so if you feel like supporting the podcast and, and helping me pay for all the hosting and, and the software and all that sort of stuff, uh, I'd really appreciate if you took a minute and just went to the Patreon page. So it's www.patreon.com forward slash classic pickup podcast, all one word. And that'll take you through there. Uh, I'll have a link in the, uh, all the details for this episode and, and I'll probably be posting links up with everything in the future. So rather than me trying to hassle all different advertisers and, and trying to squeeze some money out of them, I thought this is a good way. You guys are listening. You guys are enjoying it. If you think it's worth uh, supporting to some degree, uh, I'd appreciate uh, any support you can give. So thank you for that. If you're considering doing that, please uh, go to the Patreon page and and give us a bit of support uh apart from that uh done a bit of work on my truck i've got a new floor cut for it welded in a subfloor so starting to feel like i'm making some headway into getting my cab sorted which is my main goal at the moment i i need to get my seats mounted and then work my steering column and all that sort of thing so that's been a bit of fun uh apart from that you know business as usual so thanks for listening uh this is a, a good episode with kevin i really enjoyed this chat and i hope you enjoy it too Kevin Whips, welcome to the Classic Pickup Podcast. It's quite unusual to be introducing another Whips, and uh, I think we've kind of chatted about it. Not sure exactly in which way we're related, but I'm sure somewhere down the line we are.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, Two Whips don't make a right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, I I was talking to my dad about this kind of stuff uh, a couple months back, and he told me that my grandfather had like a whole other family before his side was involved, and apparently... I, I, my, my folks grew up in Canada. I grew up in Canada, or I, uh, spent the first year and a half or so in Canada. And then, uh, apparently my grandpa also had something else going on either way. I know there's a wing of the family that went to Australia. And, uh, the fact that we are now having this conversation, I never in a million years would have guessed that, uh, that this would have happened, but Hey, fate has it, here we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember my dad speaking about, cause he's from, uh, England, they're from uh, Essex
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and when they immigrated, um, it was a, it was a choice, I think of going to Canada or Australia, it was one of the two and they ended up in Australia. So I think it was a pretty common thing after the war for people to, to make that move. So yeah. Interesting stuff. Yeah. So mate, tell us, take us right back, you know, um, you're in, you're in Arizona. Is that where you were born and bred?
1: No, uh, born in Canada uh first year and a half there and then lived in Boston for eleven or so years. And then we moved to the Phoenix area in uh eighty seven, I think. And then lived there forever really up until March of last year. And then we moved down to Tucson then and uh we've been here ever since. Yeah,
0: awesome. No, it's a beautiful spot. I was over there, I was at Dino's not the, the most recent one, but the year before and yeah. Very, very cool area. I don't know how I'd go dealing with the whole summer there, but uh, it was certainly a uh, fun spot. So yeah. so what, what are your first memories? You know, if you think back to when you were a young bloke, you know, do you have, do you have anything that stands out as your first automotive memory? Was there someone in the family that was a rev head or a neighbor or a family member or, you know, how did that all happen for you?
1: My dad had a 1972 E-Type Jag, and that is the really long nose 12 cylinder car. And he bought it back in Massachusetts somewhere in the mid 80s. And it was like his dream car. And my dad had always kind of been into cars, but never like anything crazy serious. He, you know, would tell me about accidents he had had and how his mother would let him fix his motorcycle in the living room of their apartment, which was on like the fifth floor of a building. So we'd have to wheel this motorcycle into the into the elevator to make it work. But You know, he was into cars, uh, to a certain extent. And then I remember, I remember just kind of having this, uh, you know, we drive down the street, if I'd see a Porsche or something I'd point it out, or if I'd see a Camaro, you know, all these cars that to me were exotic at the time, when we drove across the country to, to move to Phoenix, I remember getting this hat right before we left, there was a Porsche hat. And I would take pictures of every car. And I got this photo album packed up somewhere that's got, you know, pictures of every car from the late eighties that I thought was cool at the time. When we moved here, my, uh, my dad got rid of the Jag fairly quickly, it was real difficult to tune in Arizona heat. And then we had, um, uh, what was the other issue? Uh, oh, <laughs> so in Massachusetts, where I was, uh, you know, where I was raised, you didn't have curbs, like in Phoenix, you have a roll up curb that's, you know, a couple inches high. And the front of those Jags is so low that it would just nail the curb. So just going in and out of the driveway every day, it was insane. Like he, he, he hated it. So he ended up, uh, he ended up selling it. I think he regrets it, but you know, whatever. And then, you know, once I got into my first cars, uh, you know, once I had the first few, I started, you know, playing around with them right off the bat and it all was kind of downhill from there.
0: What would have been the first car you, you owned?
1: First car I owned was a 1988 Daihatsu Charade 3 cylinder 5 speed which could not have been a bigger piece of shit. Uh it uh the CV joints went out every 6 weeks or so. Passenger side door handle uh was the only way to get into the car cuz the driver's side kept breaking. Uh but you know, look uh for a, a kid who got a car, you know, for nothing at the time, uh you know, it was pretty great. I was able to you know, uh, I was able to, to do all sorts of cool nineties things to it, like neon underneath it and, uh, Stereo, you know, little things like that. And then I, I got rid of that car cause it was just a pile and I got a Toyota pickup and I got that around the, my senior year of high school. And so it was, I, you know, I was into lowering stuff. So I, I lowered it or I took it to a shop to have it lowered. Cause I didn't, you know, mess around with that stuff much at the time. And then I had a mild stereo done, and I worked all summer at this T-shirt warehouse uh, in in Scottsdale, where I made enough money to buy my first set of billet wheels, which was a set of fifteen-inch Boyd's that I thought would tuck in the fender whales and didn't really, kind of did. So that was a great truck. I had it for a while, and then I went to college uh, down here in Tucson, ironically enough, and I met somebody from Sever Ties, and. When I met her, uh, I was, I I met her and then there was somebody else from another car club down here. And I was kind of like debating between the two. And eventually, I just became really good friends with all the people in severed. And, uh, you know, I went up, I I drove up to Phoenix, like every weekend, and I'd hang out with, you know, Danny and Ryan and all sorts of people. And we'd work on cars, and we, you know, we lowered my truck some more, I ended up shaving some things and, you know, stuff like that. But I guess the car that everybody knows me for uh, is my Honda Civic that I had back in 2000. It was a 96 Honda Civic that had shaved door handles and moldings and taillights lights and uh, four pump hydraulic setup and a bunch of stuff like that. And that was the car that kind of set everything off for me. Uh, from a writing perspective, from a, you know, scene perspective, I guess it was it was really the car that kind of got things rolling. Um, and, you know, after that, it was uh, off to the races with trucks and everything else.
0: Yeah. So the Civic, so I'm assuming that got featured in a magazine and that sort of started to open up a few doors for you. How did how did that all come about? So I, at the time,
1: had a custom car shop called Platinum Concepts with uh, my buddy, Frank, who now owns Eye Candy Paintworks. And Frank had painted my car and we I had already my shop was already running it was called k2 customs at the time and so frank and i decided to get together and start the shop and it didn't last long but in the middle of the whole thing uh, i get a we the ties had a car show and i wasn't in the club or anything at the time i had uh, long s- since left but i was uh, i went to the show with my civic i had borrowed a set of wheels from a customer and i was so exhausted that i just passed out in the back seat of like a shop van or something like that. Courtney Hallowell from Street Trucks which at that time was gosh, I'm I'm not even sure if they had had like one or two issues yet at the time, but everybody knew Courtney from Mini Trucking. Courtney came by, talked to Frank, said, "Hey, we're starting a new car magazine. Would you be interested, you know, would this car be interested in in featuring?" and he's like, "Yeah, absolutely. Let's I'll take your card and I'll give it to Kevin." Uh, a couple days later, I called Courtney. He said, This is great. I have an editor who's in town right now. So why don't you call him? I called him up. His name was Paul Morton. Paul came by the shop an hour later, I think, and came by, hung out, said, All right, let's shoot this for cover tomorrow. I got cover of the first issue of Import Racer. And what, um, and then later I got cover of uh, Lowrider Euro magazine. And then my next build also got cover of Lowrider Euro. But with this first shoot, the way it worked was, um, back then they used to have you fill out a tech sheet and you can still do that now, but it's usually done via email. But back then, you know, they just handed you a printout and the tech sheet, since this magazine was so new, they didn't have a tech sheet ready. So what they did instead was he came from Auto sound and security and he gave me one of those tech sheets. Well, my civic didn't have a stereo, like it had a head on <laughs> yeah. it. But it didn't have like I had four hydraulic pumps in the in the back and four batteries. I didn't have room for a stereo. So I was like, Okay, well, how am I going to tell this story? There's nothing in here about suspension or anything like that. So I ended up uh, just saying, Okay, well, screw it. I'll just write it myself. I will just write the whole thing myself and you know, see what happens. When I did um, the uh, Paul liked it so much. He said, Well, shoot, I'm just going to turn this into the story. I'm going to change it around and make it like an interview. But you know I'll just run this as is hey would you be interested in um writing for me would you be interested in doing some writing and i said yeah sure and so next thing i know i was writing for import racer and then uh lowrider euro and then lowrider and you know lowrider bicycle and you know it just kind of s- snowballed from there by 2008 i think i was writing for about 10 magazines maybe 12 uh, and you know i all kind of went from there and was that, was that what you'd studied? Have you,
0: what did you go to uni for?
1: So I started to go to school my freshman year of college. I went to school for, um, to be a comic book artist. I was a studio art major and I thought I, I had, I mean, it was, you know, I, I started school college in 1994, so I had, you know, the internet, I, I was introduced to the internet at college and mm-hmm. I had no idea how to get a job at Marvel comics or DC comics or anybody like that. I, I just didn't know. I just said, Okay, well, I'm going to draw. And that's how I'm going to do it. And I spent my freshman year watching these amazing artists produce work. And I just was not I just wasn't there. So I spent the next couple of years trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I really didn't know. I was good with working on cars, but that was kind of it. And so you know, I, I dabbled in communication, and I dabbled in some other things here and there. But eventually, I just dropped out of college, because I had this shop that was doing well enough that it could support me. Well, why would I do anything else? So, so that's what I did. And I, I continued on with the shop. And uh, uh, yeah, and I and, and it all kind of went from there, I guess the, the opportunity to be a writer, when it was presented to me, I didn't really take it that seriously at first because it was all just stuff that kind of came easy to me. I, I didn't have a background in it. I just had always done well in English. I was in an advanced English class in high school, but they kicked me out of it because uh, <laughs> I was goofing off too much. So, like, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't think that was going to be my life. I just, oh, well, hey, this is doing okay. Let me see what happens. It was really 2006. I uh, was with my now wife at the time and i was doing taxes and i realized i made 10 grand that year working on freelance articles on the side like just goofing off doing things on the side i made 10 grand and i said man i maybe i should do something with this you know if i can if i can make 10 grand goofing off on nights and weekends maybe i can you know make some decent money so i i started making that my focus how can i do this full time and eventually in 2008 that's what happened and i started writing for working full time for magazines and then I started my company, uh Whips Industries, uh, in two thousand and nine, with um uh, you know, writing and photography being the main focus.
0: And and your shop that you had running, you know, was that something that you continued ownership with or did you sort of scale that down or or sell out of that when you when you focus more on your writing? Um Frank and
1: I parted ways uh shortly after that shoot. I was in a very different place uh emotionally and otherwise back then um i was as i like to say a little bit of a bullshitter and that caught up with me and it was a very it was a very difficult time honestly i lost every friend that i had and i had to kind of start over it was it was a really tough thing. I, I ate a lot of crow. I, and, and, you know, there was this big confrontation that happened with me and a customer out in front of the shop. And, you know, me and Frank, you know, Frank yelled at me afterwards and it was deserved. I, I fucked up like just plain and simple. And I decided from that day on that I wasn't going to do that anymore. I wasn't going to lie. I wasn't going to bullshit my way through things, honesty, you know, for good or bad. And, uh, That was a tough decision to make, but it was ultimately the right one. Uh, it, it has led me down a much better path, but, um, you know, back then I really, it was, it was, it was all ego. It was all, what can I do? How can I make the coolest car that everybody can thank me for? And, you know, it was all about me and I I'm glad I've moved on from that phase. Although it was a very difficult time in my life. Like, you know, I left, I left the business with Frank. And I went on to deliver pizzas for like a year. Like I was writing freelance on the side and delivering pizzas. And, you know, I remember, I remember I had left the shop and I took my civic to a show in California and I had to take time off to go to the SEMA international auto salon on the way back. I totaled the car and I had a stack of posters like this big that they had given out at the show. Like at the show, there were models signing pictures of my car. I total the car so I don't even have that now. And I, you know, I go to Pizza Hut and I'm like, Hey, this is what I did this weekend. And I, you know, like nobody cared. Nobody gave a shit. And I, you know, it was for me, it was a huge high point for nobody else. Nobody else cared. Um, it was another one of those kind of humbling moments, you know, but I, I decided at the time I said, you know, let's let's pick this up. And let's start over and." and uh make better of myself be a better person uh, and so that's what i tried to do and what i've been trying to do ever since
0: yeah so yeah it sounds like you sort of i'm not going to use the word fluked but you know you obviously a lot of hard work went into that vehicle but you know one of your first real builds you kind of hit the pinnacle right at the top you had covers yeah you know you're at SEMA, and then and then where do you go from there is is probably something that you would have struggled with right (laughs) that's a good way to put it uh yeah so the
1: the civic was cover of two magazines and it went to the sema international auto salon which so this is like 2000 i want to say and in 2000 you know fast and the furious movies were like crazy popular and sema was trying to capitalize on that with this international auto salon which i think was held in the spring i want to say So the next car I built, I was like, okay, well, what do I want to what do I want to do next? And I, uh, I've always liked station wagons. And I bought a Ford Focus wagon, that I ended up uh, shaving and painting and doing a huge sliding ragtop in and a bunch of stuff like that. And I, at this point, I was doing enough photography, that I was able to do like tech articles on stuff that I was doing. So I would you know, sell articles to Lowrider Euro about that. And Pro Hopper used one of my photos in one of their advertisements. And I was able to do you know, I, I think I was in a street beat ad too for sliding ragtops. So I had gone to SEMA the year before the official SEMA show in November. And I had talked to some people from Ford. And I said, Hey, I'm building this focus wagon right now I had I was in the dub magazine show across the way. This is when the car was silver originally. And they um, and, and I'm like, you know, look, you can look at the car. But would you guys be interested in having it here next year? And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. Well, <laughs> I talked to them like one or two times throughout the year. And then I didn't really hear from them again. So I just said, Okay, well, I'm just gonna go then. So I go and i'm like oh i'm in ford motorsports booth and they're like sure and i show up and the guys like what are you doing here <laughs> and I'm like you told me to come like 3 months ago here i am the car's ready and so he was like all right oh screw it let's uh, let's park it in here so i was that was my first official sema show a couple years later i would once i once i sold the focus i would end up building an 01 gmc that was my first full size uh, but i never really finished that car and then i ended up getting a 04 a Chevy truck. And that truck went to SEMA, I think twice, once when it was white. uh, Like, I think it was in 05, maybe 06 that it was when it was white. And then the next time was 2000. No, I'm sorry, it was 05. The first time. Oh, six, I didn't go. Oh, seven, I did go when it was painted. And uh, that was a feature vehicle both times. So parked out front. And uh, yeah, it was it was pretty great um uh that was a that was a high point for me. I have never been, you know, indoors at Sema. Uh that hasn't been a thing that I have uh, you know, pushed for too much. But uh yeah, that was that was the last thing I did. And then I started building another truck in 2009. I sold the 04. I sold the 01 also. And I had this uh, 95 Chevy truck, uh standard cab short bed. Uh, Todd and I, Todd from low Void Motorsports, And I, uh, did a stock floor body drop. And when I say Todd and I, I mean, mostly Todd, uh, it, I had never done a stock floor before I didn't really know, you know, what was, what was the deal with it. But anyways, he, um, uh, him and I worked on the truck and it was a great truck. I did a lot of tech articles for street trucks and sport truck on it, or I'm sorry, just street truck at the time. And then, uh, my son was born and my son was born in 2010 my wife had been laid off from her job and it was really difficult for us we were going through a really tough time financially and i ended up selling the truck i sold the 95 and for a couple of years that was kind of it and it wasn't until i think it was 15 that i bought an 81 i bought an 81 shortbed and i did some stuff on it for my first book and then i sold that truck uh, a couple months ago And I bought the truck that I have in my garage now, which is a 97 Chevy Centurion, uh, which I am, uh, very excited about. I, I am very excited about that truck. Do you know about the Centurions you familiar with those? No. Okay. So there was a company out here, um, called Centurion and what they did was they did conversions. So, you know, in some cases, those would be things like, you know, ground effects and, you know, some of the nineties trucks that we had had like lots of wood trim, like thick wood trim, not like the little laminate, like a real thick, hardy Oak that was on these things. Well, what Centurion did for in 96 through 98 is they had uh, conversion trucks where they took a standard cab short bed from GM and they turned it into a crew cab short bed. And this is the only way you could get a crew cab short bed half ton truck. 96 through 98. I think they made and they, excuse me, they did it all with GM parts. So it was all original parts. That's a it's an original cab on there. And it was all you know, certified through GM. And I think they made 130 of them. uh, Yeah, I think about 130 of them over the past over those three years, Uh, about half of those were half were uh, two wheel drives. So I was on C 10 sales on their Instagram page was talking to cougar over there and he was selling one and i was like oh shit, man i just sold my 81 i got some cash in my pocket maybe i can make this thing happen and uh, sure enough i did i flew out to california in the middle of a epidemic which is always a, or a pandemic which is always fun and then drove it back which also was a little bit of a religious experience because um, steering's a little loose and the brakes are a little soft but uh I got it in the garage now. That's the important part. So I've started making plans and trying to figure out how I'm what I'm gonna do with it and what
0: order I'm gonna do it in. And I'm using that towards uh
1: using all that information towards another book project.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, because I, I was gonna I was gonna ask, you know, your your first book was how to restore your Chevy truck seventy three to eighty seven. So um obviously when you you got your first square body, that kind of prompted because I, I assume that you were doing you know, a lot of magazine articles. At first, you know, like oh, we're we're doing this part of the build. Let's cover it and document it, and it go into like a street truck or something like that. And you obviously got to a point. I mean, how did how did that start off? Did you did you have Car Tech approach you and say, "Look, we've seen your articles in the magazines. Would you be interested in doing a a full build book for us?" Or how did that come about?
1: It was weird. Uh, I got an email, or I got a message from a guy on LinkedIn, of all things. And, and he was like, Hey, uh, I'm with Cartech books. Are you, I notice you do a lot of work with magazines and we could have you write a book for us. And I'm like, okay, all right, this is spam. I'm going to move on my way. This is, you know, this is my Nigerian prince trying to offer me a bunch of money, thanks, but no thanks. But he was persistent and he just kept hitting me up and saying, Hey, uh, you know, uh, we pay you money we can do this. And I said, okay, go ahead and sign over, send over a contract. I'll take a look at it. And I did. And I said, okay, well, this all seems legit. I guess I'll, I'll sign it and send it over. And I did. And then when the check cleared, I was like, I guess I got to do this thing. The, uh, I, at the time I had had a few square bodies before. So like I, I went over, you know, the major builds that I had done that, you know, got some attention, but, you know, I mean, I'm a car guy. So I've had, you know, like when I had my 01, I also had my 04, and I had an 81, and I had an 87 crew cab dually, and I had a, a 52 Chevy truck. And I, you know, I had this fleet full of vehicles in my backyard. And uh, I, so I've had, I, I had four square bodies at that time. I had a 81, an 84, 87. I think I've had two 81s, something like that. Uh, But the story didn't really start with doing square bodies, it started with doing 67 to 72s. Now, I've owned one of those I owned a 69 long bed that had a three on the tree and the shifter was backwards. So it was difficult to learn how to drive to begin with. And then I had to throw in figuring out how that all worked. But uh, at the time it was so it was 2013 that they offered this to me. And I, um, I had 2010, i had kind of kind of separated from a lot of the magazines. Um, long story short, I wasn't getting paid. And if I'm not getting paid, I'm not going to do the work. And I had a lot of backlog of articles that you know, just weren't going anywhere. And since I wasn't building a car, I had kind of said, Okay, well, let's spend some time focusing on the family. You know, my son was a newborn. It, it, let's let's go that route for a couple of years and see what happens. So when they come to me with this book, I'm like, I don't really know that many people anymore. You know, like I was still friends with Dino and and a bunch of guys like that. But you know, like, I wasn't hanging out on the weekends, I didn't really know anybody. So I did some reaching out, I I saw what I could do. And I started working on the book uh, for how to restore your Chevy truck 1967 to 72. I get about halfway done. And I'm like, I, I can't finish this. I just I don't know what to do. And around that same time, I get called by Kevin Aguilar from street trucks. And he's like, Hey, are you are you doing work for magazines anymore? And I said, Well, I don't know. Are you paying people for magazine work? And he's like, Yeah. Go, okay. Then yeah, I'll do, I'll do work. He's like, Okay, cool. I want you to meet this guy, Joe Yezi, uh, from a company called Square Body Syndicate. I want you to do an article with him. And I go, All right, sure. So I drive out to Cave Creek, which was about 45 minutes north of where I lived at the time, and uh, hung out with Joe for a couple hours, took a bunch of pictures, and went back to my editor at the at Cartech and said, Okay, here's the deal. I can't Finish this 67 to 72 book. It's just not going to happen. So I've got two options. I can do 60 to 66 and I figured I can lean on Dino for that one. I can try to get that book done, or I can do, six, uh, 73 to 87 because you know, I've got Joe now I can, I can go that route. So he talked to his bosses and they said 73 to 87. So I went after it and started working on that book. And, uh, that's how that went. It took a couple of, it took longer than it was supposed to to get that book done. Uh, I think I took two, maybe three years to do a book that should have taken one. But uh, it was complicated, because again, I didn't know a lot of people. And at the time, uh, towards the end of it, it was like, I need like one or two things, you know, like, I need the electrical area to get done or I need, uh, I think the other thing was, um, uh, like other mechanicals, right? So it's like, Okay, well, if I just buy a truck, then I can do those things. And then I can turn around and, you know, either sell the truck or build the truck, you know, it'd be fine. So I buy that 81, I drive out to, uh, Stockton, California to buy this 81 truck with this beautiful patina on it. And I take it home and I drop off the axle at a axle shop so that they can rebuild it. And I take pictures of that process. And then I do some electrical work on it to show, you know, running a painless kit books done. All right, let's go. And, uh, that was that. So I was able to, to get that one done and that's, uh, that's how it all went. It's interesting because my editor told me, he said, whatever you do, don't buy a truck to do this book. Like don't buy a truck with the intention of doing all this because you're never going to get it done. What you need to do is what you said. You need to build up this, you know, large community of people. And that, and that's essentially what I did, you know, meeting Joe led me to, you know, uh, doing other work over at switch suspension and I had done work at switch before, but now they were doing more square body trucks. All right, great. I can do stuff with them uh Ronnie at the time from C10 Talk he had reached out to me about doing a podcast my very first one where I'm talking about marketing and you know I knew Ronnie had just gotten a square so I said okay Ronnie can I hang out and can we take pictures of you know working on your truck you know that led to other people and it just became this big network of you know I'm all of a sudden heavily involved in the C10 scene where I'm meeting all these people and I can shoot all these pictures the um on the flip side there's so Cartech does two types of books they do how to restore your Chevy truck or how to restore books and then they have um, build and modify books my buddy Jim Pickering uh, wrote how to build and modify 73 and 87 Chevy trucks and he was given the contract after my book was done so he was using my book as like a reference and he said well I guess I got to go buy a truck so that I can do this whole process right so he bought a truck and did the whole thing. And, you know, he, him and I have talked about it since. And he was like, you know, when you do it that way, you know what other questions people are going to ask, you know, like, oh, well, I know that this is a oddball bolt that, you know, is only in this particular truck. All right, cool. Well, I need to put that in the book. That's information I would not have necessarily yeah. had because I didn't have it. Right. So I kind of go back and forth. What I have done since is there's the 67 to 72 book which um i have you know i collaborated with a bunch of people on but then i have two book projects that i'm working on now one's on air suspension which is something i have a lot of knowledge about but i also now have a a fourth book that's kind of in the mix that's how to build and modify your 88 to 98 chevy truck so i have a chevy truck in the garage now and i have you know i have plans to put air suspension on it so if I don't have something in my, you know, 20 years of writing that I have photos of, I can go into the garage and I can work on it. You know, same thing with I was doing a section on swapping the front seats to buckets, right? Let's swap to some front seat to buckets and put in that cool, you know, kind of teardroppy looking center console. Well, I had done that once before on my 95, so I thought, you know, I remembering something from 10 years ago, and I can barely remember what I had for breakfast. And, and, and I remember thinking, Oh, okay, well, there are holes in the truck. There are threaded holes, all I got to do is bolt it in, it'll be fine. I pull up the carpet on the on the 97 in the garage. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> there's no holes here. There's nothing. I got nothing. Okay, crap. Uh, well, this again, this is something that now I know now I can take pictures of it. And I can, you know, show in the book, they these are pictures I took at a junkyard where I got the console. And these are the measurements I took. And this is how all this went. So I love two minds. You know, on the one hand, yes, it makes sense. Don't buy a truck because you're not going to finish it. Like you're not going to finish it within the sp- space of the build. But on the other hand, there's going to be th- some things that come up. You might want to buy a truck. So I kind of go both ways on it. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's interesting. You know, and and, and having read uh, your latest book, which is the um, 67 to 72, it's, it's interesting. I don't know how much you know about, the Australian uh scene but we are we're very limited as to what we can do aftermarket when it comes to suspension chassis work all that sort of stuff because we have some quite strict engineering rules that we have to follow over here so what i think and you know for all our listeners who are in Australia your books which are a restoration book they're not they're not resto mod they're effectively they're restoring original um even though even though I'm sure none of these trucks end up as original but each section is doing a, an original part of it um you know for someone here in Australia who's imported themselves a, a 67 or 72 this is a great book for them to read because everything in that book is actually okay for us to do here in Australia whereas the other book you're talking about that uh that your friend has done which is all the resto mod stuff you know we we can't just throw a QA1 kit and put a, a notch kit in and off we go like you can't do it or if you if you can do it you got to jump through a lot of hoops so yeah it's i think it's a great platform these books um for our australian audience to have a look at because you know it's there's a lot of pictures in there and you have a lot of details you got these little yellow um little tech tips sections yeah sections that you've put in tech tips yeah and i, I just found them really good to read i mean i don't even have one of these trucks but Every little bits and pieces, you know, they're bits of information that, like you say, unless you've got a truck, you don't know anyway. And and if you can read all this stuff a little bit in advance of actually doing the work yourself, then then you can be planning for it. Because, you know, if if I have to turn around tomorrow and get a patch panel for one of these trucks, I can't just go down to my local store and buy it. You know, it's right. it's a lot harder for us over here. We we have some great shops. I mean, a major sponsor of our podcast, the Classic Pickup Supplies in Koolham Beach you know, they, they have a lot of this stuff, but if it's not a common item, they're not gonna have it here. So you've got to ship it over or, you know, you might end up getting on the internet and go to Brothers or LMC or somewhere like that. So yeah, here here in Australia with our scene, it's it's certainly good to be able to, you know, I, I found, you know, part of me would say uh, a book is a little bit out of date in these times, you know, like the magazines obviously are disappearing, like no tomorrow and and something in a book in some ways it seems outdated but to actually have it there and just be able to thumb through it every time you're doing something rather than get back on your phone and try and google what you were talking about i think it's a fantastic resource especially for someone building that model of a truck so no they're great
1: yeah no thank you and and the thing about what we try to do with the books is every every chapter should have at least one big project and we're not going to cover literally everything that you're going to do on one of these trucks but we want to get the broad scope you know, some of the areas that have the most focus are like paint and body, because those are the things that everybody wants to know about, but it is, it is a, a to B start here, go here. If you just want to learn about one thing, cool, go tap into that chapter. If you want to, you know, do the whole thing, start to finish, here you go. I have heard a little bit about the Australian stuff. And I remember, I remember being real big into mini trucks in the late nineties and reading mini truck in and hearing about stuff in australia and hearing about how restrictive it was and you know uh I- i've heard it's very similar in the uk that it- that modifying your car isn't isn't super easy um uh, it- man anytime i think about moving countries i'm like oh australia sounds really great and then i go oh i can't work on anything can i oh that sounds like it'd suck yeah I- it's not that bad. <laughs> well, that's fortunate. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I've, look, I've seen lots of really cool trucks out of Australia. You know, where I've gone. Oh man, that's that's bitching, and it's right-hand drive as opposed to me and my boring left-hand drive. Which you know, I mean, I mean to you, it's the exact opposite thing. But um, you know, I I do wonder how you guys go through those hurdles and how you make it work without uh, stressing yourself out. Because I mean, you know, I I my eighty-one I had a chassis underneath it that was from a 78 and it was, you know, a weekend and I moved everything over and it was no big deal. Like I didn't have to worry about, you know, I didn't have to worry about insurance. Uh, I didn't have to worry about anything with, uh, with the state or the country,
0: nothing. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Like the few times I've, I've, uh, lived over there in the States and, you know, purchased a vehicle and driven around like, you can Fred Flintstone, that thing with holes in the floor. It doesn't, it just doesn't matter. As long as it passes smog, like in California, for instance, you know, that's all you need to do. But I mean, you know, for us over here, it's, it can seem like it's, oh my God, you can't do anything, but what it really is, is educate yourself and understand the restrictions that you're allowed to work within, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, then you find yourself an engineer and you come up with a plan and then you just follow the plan. And, you know, like you say, there are, there are hundreds of awesome trucks on the road here and, and they've all gone through those hoops and you know it, it it is a little bit restrictive compared to you know you guys you know I've seen some of the stuff on YouTube where guys will be like wheel in a stock truck spend a whole weekend they drive it out with you know swapped engine suspension drops all that sort of stuff like you know we can't we can't do that it's not yeah. that easy but but we can end up with that over a longer term process that we do properly so that's cool yeah so question cool. question for you about that Air ride book that you're working on. Yeah. So, and I've got a copy of this book here,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yep. uh, Ma- Max Fisher's Air Suspension Design, which I think's uh, a great book. Yeah. Um, yeah. What once again interesting for us here in Australia to interpret and you know make sure we do everything right. But I mean, the the physics and the dynamics of what's in that book work everywhere. So is is yours going to be on? on the airbag system more than the suspension system, or is it gonna be a bit of both?
1: It's a little bit of both, but it mostly focuses on the system. Because the the thing is, uh, there are so many different ways and vehicles that you can put airbags on. You know, um, when I built my Civic, I did hydraulics because it was the only option I had. There were a few people who were doing airbags back then, but the ways they were doing them were not the way I would wanna do them. Um, There was nothing wrong with that but you couldn't buy air struts at the time so instead hydraulics ended up being the best choice and for um uh but since then you know you can buy i I, for that same honda civic i could buy struts tomorrow that you know were airbagged and i could lay that thing out or at least as close as the struts would let me and i'd be fine versus you know my 97 which is a bolt in and cut out a couple of things suspension and you know do a parallel four link and some other fun stuff and you're ready to go we try to hit the broad notes on that because what i'm trying to do is make sure that whether you're bagging a golf cart which i know plenty of people who have done it or bagging your civic or bagging your full-size chevy whatever it happens to be you know the basics of it so you can get by you know like one of the things i said was you can pretty much use a convoluted airbag on anything if you have one piece that's stable and one piece that moves, and there's a pivot somewhere in between. After that, you're kind of off to the races, whether it's a four-link, whether it's just, you know, bag on top of axle, you got a frame that doesn't move, you got an axle underneath it. As long as you've got a pivot, which is going to be your suspension, you're fine. Uh, so it's, um, you know, and it also goes into the history, it also goes into stuff like, um. You know like all the uh like the the air ride 3h setup the accuair stuff you know a lot of a lot of things like that so it's a uh broad topic book that has lots of tech articles too so that you know people are diving in and you can see how these things are actually done so you can visualize it yeah so
0: it's not a chevy specific book it's just a airbag yeah that's fantastic i look forward to seeing that
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: Now, here's a question for you, um, being a little bit closer to the grindstone. There's been some rumblings that um, AccuAir may have been reacquired uh, in some way. Do you know anything about that?
1: I do. Uh, AccuAir has been reacquired. Um, I forget the company's name. Uh, Seth and I, uh, over at Switch and I talked about it. It's my understanding they're going to be up and running with those products up in March-ish, I want to say. Now, here's the thing. All they did was buy like the products and, and the uh, resources and engineering and, you know, all that kind of stuff for AccuAir, they didn't like, they're not fulfilling old orders. They're not taking care of old warranties. So if you've got, you know, a CVT and you've got a problem with it, you've got a problem with it. And that's just kind of the way it goes. Uh, you know, I, when that happened, so it was March of this year uh or last year rather and the pandemic had just hit and at the time I um I was sitting in a park with my iPad writing uh on the book, writing a section about accuair when I take a pause and look on Instagram and find out we're shutting down and I'm like, Whoa <laughs> like like this pandemic just hit. At the time we were thinking it was gonna be gone in two weeks. Like, chill out, man. Like what what are you doing? Uh but there must've been, look, I have no inside information. I do wonder what else was happening that led them to, you know, cut bait so fast. And since then I know that, you know, Seth at switch sells a CVT to VT conversion kit. So you can take the compressor out and still have everything function in the tank because they have a lot of people who have compressors that fail and. I don't know. I mean, me personally, I was really excited to get a CVT kit. And now that I know that so many people have had problems with them, I'm glad I never pulled the trigger. But AccuAir is coming back is the gist of it. And it's being done by a company who has a reputation doing, uh, from what I remember, and I could be wrong here, they have a reputation for doing more like commercial stuff. So like more manufacturer type things, which is good that you know somebody like Lincoln or Ford or Chevy, they're not going to screw around with an airbag setup. That doesn't work. So I have a little more confidence in their, in their setup. As far as that goes, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I, in the meantime, airlift with the three H kit, um, it's airlift, right? Not air ride. I always confuse those two. Um, but the, the three H kits are amazing. And, you know, I know Seth sells a ton of them over there, so we'll see. Um, there's also a couple other people, I think level up is another one. Um, regardless, it is good to see that there is innovation in the airbag industry. It is good to see that people are doing things and trying new things, even if they fail. It is good to see that this stuff is happening because, you know, back when I started with hydraulics, it was all the same hydraulic parts that you could buy in 19, you know, 75. Like it wasn't. There weren't any great modifications and with airbags, there has been a solid evolution and I'm, I'm very happy that that's happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, definitely needed. I mean, we all, you now we all seen guys who you know, lower in the truck and it's just like the front just dumps down and just bounces for a minute and then the rear goes down and it just, you know, it doesn't even, it looks horrendous really. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's when I think the general public look at something and go, well, that doesn't seem like a really good, thing for your car you know how does that work whereas you know when you watch a really good car just sit down perfectly or you know someone jumps in the passenger seat and the vehicle self levels itself you know fantastic that's what we all want to have so yeah mm-hmm. look forward to that happening oh that's really cool so so what's your current build it's a 91 did you say
1: 97 so it's a 97 centurion so it's a crew cab half ton short bed and the plan right now is uh, I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do 22s all the way around. I've been debating, you know, juggling that and maybe doing a 22 and 24. I want to do an engine swap in it, the 350 that's in there. I was told that it may have been rebuilt recently, but I'm not really sure. And the, uh, you know, I want to bag it, you know, bag it to a stock floor, big wheels, you know, typical stuff that I have done in the past. But uh, for me, I, There's something about being in a bag truck that is pretty great, but having one that lays body on top of that is kind of that extra, that extra little bit. So I've been thinking a lot about that, what, how I'm going to tackle it. Because, you know, when you're doing a stock floor, you want to make sure you have the, the drivetrain that you're going to run, you know, okay, well, that means I got to do the engine swap before I do the stock floor. So do I do the engine swap first? and then do suspension or should i do suspension first and then the stock for, then the engine swap you know it could be a six of one thing i could pull the cab and say okay well the cab's off now i'm going to go ahead and do the engine swap since everything's out you know you can go a bunch of different ways with it but uh, i'm very excited about that truck it's um it's going to be pretty cool i don't it's the the paint on it is not great uh and it has uh some bodywork issues So I'm not sure what color I'm going to paint it yet. I have been leaning towards, there's a tealish blue color that they did on that body style. And they have one in the 97s. And I don't have, I want to say it's Laguna something blue. It's not Laguna Seca blue because that's a BMW color, I think. But it's a very similar uh, teal metallic color. And I'm thinking about that. It'd be really nice to do something really 90s for that truck. I really, I'm into that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I think that'd be pretty cool. You put all the graphic stripes on it, and get some billet steering wheels, and go to town.
1: Well, look. First off, a billet steering wheel standard. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm doing that. Uh, and so, in high school, so I'm 45. Uh, well, I'll be 45 on Friday. And the, um, uh, the in high school, there was this kid who had a then brand new like 92 extra cab full-size Chevy, and it was black and it had like probably 16 inch billet wheels, but something like that. And then it had these white, um, kind of oval shapes. And then coming out of the ovals were two little purple scallop kind of deals. It looked like a killer whale, right? It looked like an orca because it had the, the, the black with the white, and then you just add the two purple things. I think about that truck at least once a week that truck was so bitching. it wasn't bagged. It wasn't anything particularly cool, but man, that truck to me just was everything. And so I've been, I've, I've debated how nineties I want to go with my truck. I think, you know, bagged body dropped. I, you know, I've done a GMC grill on it with a billet insert, you know, I don't know how far, how much further I'm going to go down that road, but we'll see. I've had an eye on a, on a bumper from Bob grant. They have a, a narrowed bumper. That's pretty sweet. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. It'll probably be a couple of years before it's done, but in the meantime, I'll have fun screwing around with it.
0: Yeah, and I, I know I, I listen to uh, Chris Collington's podcast, Hot Rods Boy Boyd, mm-hmm. and uh, he talks about quite often that you know they've taken those those uh, designs that you know Boyd was running back in the you know back in the day that were probably fifteens or sixteens and and so Chris is now reproducing those in like a twenty inch you know or a twenty two inch rim. Probably even up to twenty four is the ridiculously big hoops, but um, yeah. I mean, I I think that throwback to that era, you know, like it was a. That's the posters I had on my wall when I was in high school. That was yeah. Street truck, street truck magazine. It was a C fifteen hundred extra cab. You know, I, I just I I never. There's this one black truck, and it was a poster on my wall, and it had the flames. So the flames in the billet wheels and the matching flame steering wheel. Oh and, yeah yeah. You know, I loved, you know that was like that's all I ever wanted, you know, and uh that's sort of my my style's changed a bit since then, and you know obviously building a bit of an an earlier era truck. but uh, yeah, i that was a cool time and and there's you know, I'm sure there's a lot of those early original parts around, but you know a lot of those companies are uh, are repopping and and doing a, a more modernized version, which is really cool it's it's
1: interesting that this the eighty eights and ninety eights are at this weird place at the immediate moment where. Some things are getting repopped, but not everything. So, like, you know, I, I was looking for uh, marker lights, right? Just the parking lights under the headlights. I thought, okay, well, this should be easy. I'll just go down to the dealer and I'll get them. Yeah, I can't. The dealer doesn't have them. So I'm like, okay, well, where else am I going to go? Okay, well, LMC has them. And well, that was kind of it. Like, LMC had them. Brothers doesn't cover that year of truck, if I remember correctly. So I was like, okay, well, where else am I going to get them? Um, it was kind of hard to find. I, and I go on Amazon and I get a set and I get lucky, but you know, finding stock tail lights, I ended up going, okay, well, I'm just going to go to a junkyard and I'll polish a new setup because the, the truck came with these, oh, these gross LED tail lights that are not nice. So I, <laughs> so I, I, I got some stockers and I'll polish them up and make them all nice and clean and put those back in there. And I've, you know, even the dashboard on those things, LMC, I think. I think LMC now makes a dashboard for the 88 to 94s. So, but that's not my truck, I've got the newer dash. So I ended up finding a junkyard that had a 99 suburban, and I ended up pilfering the dash from that, and that dash was in great shape. So it is weird. Not everything is as available as I would think it is. But there's still enough available that I can make it work. So I'm, I'm excited for the next couple of years too to see what other stuff comes back. I mean, because Good guys just you know out here they the good guy shows are huge and the good guys just uh announced that 88 to 98s are allowed on the show field which is a big deal so all right great now let's see if brothers does the same thing and starts bringing in those parts and marquet and everybody else let's see how that goes
0: yeah definitely yeah it's interesting how you know as you get older the vehicles are obviously getting older and so they become classic whereas in your memory, say from high school, that was just a new vehicle. And, mm-hmm. and it's hard to imagine that that's actually a classic, but it is now. And yeah, we, we see that over here a lot with, uh, a lot of the cars and things that I remember, you know, in high school, you just, you know, to me, it was a cheap car that you just bought and drove and you got rid of it. And, and now guys are restoring them. And yeah, it's a, it's a change in mindset. It's quite interesting. And I guess, you know, that's what the older generation have watched us do for years. So yeah, so yeah. that's awesome. Well, Kevin, if if people want to get hold of your book, I, I think they can probably find them online here in Australia. What, what's your recommendation for finding a copy of your books?
1: Uh, Amazon has it. Uh, most yeah. local booksellers have it. I know it sells internationally uh, because I get that on my report. Uh, you can also buy an ebook copy of it if you'd like, uh, which you can do you know, on Apple's uh, iTunes store or the Kindle store. But if you want a physical copy, Amazon's probably your best bet or your local bookseller, and they can always get it. I know we have an um, Australian distributor out there. When, uh, when I was trying to get you your copy, I was, I was talking to my editor after I finally sent it out, and he's like, oh, I've got an Australian connection. And I'm like, oh, really wish I had known that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, for sure, they, they can do that. Um, and uh, I think CarTech will also ship internationally, which is, uh, gosh, I want to say it's cartechinc.com. But uh, yeah, those are your options.
0: Yeah, awesome. And your socials, you're at Kevin Whips on Instagram?
1: And pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I'm at Kevin Whips, uh, as many places as I can grab it.
0: Yeah, awesome. Uh, Including your website, kevinwhips.com? That's me, yeah. Yeah, cool. And yeah, so there's the, uh, the 73 to 87 book, which was your first one. There is the current book, which is the 67 to 72 uh currently working on a um air ride suspension book and uh yeah lots to come in the future by the sound of things
1: yeah it's gonna be fun man it's gonna be fun i've been uh been working hard trying to get things done
0: Mm. no it's 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 great that you you know you you started off building cars and then you sort of found you know i guess the thing that pays the bills and and also interests you and you know while you're still building cars personally it's it's not for the money. It's the passion, and, and it kind of helps what you're doing, which I think is really cool.
1: Yeah, it's a neat little, uh, neat little circular setup. And 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 writing books is really difficult, but really rewarding and fun. So I, you know, it's it's when you write like you do nowadays. Sometimes you have a magazine that you get, but um, you know, more often than not, it ends up online, right? And that's fine. I appreciate it, but it's nice to have something tangible. You know, it's nice to hold something in your hands that you go. Hey, I did this, and that's nice.
0: Mm. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Well, Kevin, appreciate your time. Um, thank you for joining us and having a chat. And uh, yeah, and I'll get I'll get hold of some uh, pictures from you of, of a few of your builds, and we'll add them in the uh, on the website and in on our posts. So, yeah, hopefully um, things aren't going too badly over there in Arizona for you guys with COVID at the moment. I I know we're doing pretty good here in Australia. I mean, I we're not even wearing masks to go to the supermarket or anything right now, which is, which has been great.
1: Yeah. It's a dumpster fire over here. No, it's, it's really bad. It's really bad. Uh, my, (laughs) my, uh, uh, my wife right now is, uh, I I was like, okay, well I gotta do a podcast. Could you, could you be scarce for like an hour or so? (laughs) Um, and she's like, okay, well I gotta get the masks. I gotta, you know, do all this. And yeah, Arizona in particular is a little bit, uh, a little bit spicy over here, but, yeah, we'll get through it. We'll muddle through eventually.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, like you say, you know, originally we thought it was gonna be a few weeks and this thing was gone and, you know, we're more than a year deep. So, yeah, fingers crossed, we, um, yeah, we've had most of our car shows either canceled or postponed and, you know, going through all that stuff as well. So hopefully the future, uh, you know, we can get this all sorted out and, and get back to a, a new normal as they keep t- calling it, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, for real.
0: Cool. All right, mate. Appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank you. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general, and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email Pickup podcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.